Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, North Bay. Good morning to everyone. And if you're a visitor here this morning, may I add my welcome to that that's already been stated. And we're so glad that you're here today. And uh, what a great morning. And uh, I hope it was a blessed Christmas for you. Some of you may have been a rough one, but uh, whatever the case, I have a message I believe the Lord has given me this morning for every one of us, and including myself. And I've spent a lot of time pondering this in my own life. But uh, I want to, uh, I, if you've been here before, uh, by the way, Pastor Dan, if you're a visitor, Pastor Dan is away on vacation for a few days. So he asked me to take the pulpit this week, and I'm, I'm so happy to do that. But if, uh, if you've heard me before, sometimes I like to have a little visual illustration. Because for some of us who are more visual like me, it just kind of helps drive the point home. And so I have a visual for us this morning. But before I, I, I reveal the visual... I want you to think about for a moment how central bread is to our lives. You go into any large supermarket and you go to the bread section and it's incredible. Shelf after shelf of every kind of bread you can imagine. And it's just, it's central to our lives. And it was that way in Bible times as well. It was central to the life of people there. And so I think it's... um, it's fitting that I used for this morning a loaf of bread, but it's not just any loaf of bread. It's wonder bread. And I don't know if you have had this experience like I have, but I can remember in the days before all these breads, but when I was a kid, when mom would bring home a loaf of wonder bread, it was a big deal. And it was fun. And uh, so it, it was. A, it was an. It was an interesting part of our. Of our. It's interesting part of my memories. Uh, but the reason that I have this kind of goofy illustration this morning for us is that I was. Th- as I was thinking about this message this morning, I was thinking about Jesus, of course, who said, "I am the bread of life." He's the source of life. He's the giver of real life. And. And he's the one we're celebrating this morning. In just a few moments, we're going to actually take a piece of bread or a cracker representing his body, which was given for us in communion. And we're going to reflect on that. But it's so easy, I think, after, especially if you've known the Lord for a period of time, to kind of get on cruise control and maybe to lose a little bit of that sense of wonder and awe about God, about who he is and what he's done. And we've come out of a holiday season when, as Shane said earlier, for many of us, has been very busy. It's been uh, very tiring. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning, but you're not really here this morning. You know what I mean? It's maybe you're just kind of tired, and you're 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 glad to be here, but but it's been a busy time, and all the activities that have surrounded Christmas have uh, kind of taken your breath away. And, uh, you know, you're, you're coming here this morning, and maybe, you're, maybe you've come out of the season, I, I wonder if we've come out of the season with any real sense of awe and wonder about what we've just celebrated. This morning, I want to 
uh, more than just help us, I don't, I don't want us to just catch our breath. I want us to have our, our breath taken away in a sense. As we pause for a few moments to reflect on what we've, we've just celebrated and then to respond, respond in communion. And then to move into this new year with a renewed sense of awe toward God in a way that literally affects how we're going to live and express our relationship to God in 2020. That's what I want. And so would you pray with me to that end? Lord, we just offer our, our, ourselves to you and this time to you. And uh, you are amazing. And I just pray that even through these few moments, you'll help us to reconnect with that sense of wonder and awe about who you are and what you've done. And that it'll give us such a confidence in our faith as we move forward. So Lord, help us to listen to what the Spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If I could, I don't have a three-point sermon or a four-point sermon this morning. I really have just a one-point sermon. But if, it's, uh, if I could capsulize it this way, I would, I would put it in a nutshell this way. I would say, a growing awe toward God will result in a growing experience of God. May I say that again? A growing awe toward God will result in a growing experience of God. As we think about that and as we move toward communion, you know, John wrote some powerful words. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a verse that most of you know. You've, you've, you've learned it a long time ago, perhaps. Uh, maybe you've even shared it with others. But maybe you've even seen it at football games because there seems to be somebody in the crowd at all, a lot of those games that holds up the sign that says what? John 3.16. Can you say that out loud with me this morning? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you. But think about that for just a moment. God so loved the world. And in saying that, it also is saying God so loves you that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever believes in him, the son, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Does that begin to stir within you any sense of awe that God would do that? And if that doesn't take your breath away, I want to read John's words in chapter 1, the first 12 verses. And I want you to listen to these words and just reflect on them as I read. But he writes, in the beginning was the word, and he's talking about Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John, and he's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him, all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
children born not of natural descent or the a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. Is that amazing? That God would do that for us? It does take your breath away. When we put all of our other thoughts aside and we begin to reflect on things like those verses that we've just read, you cannot remain neutral. You can't just not be affected unless you're just not listening because it's so powerful. That's what God did. That's what God did for you because he loves you. And every, he loves every person in this world that he created and he's ordained from the beginning that there's, there's a way for any person, any person who will believe in his son to have a powerful relationship with him that begins now and lasts forever. Man, that is something. Whosoever, whosoever, anybody, who believes in a person, Jesus, the word, the creator, and believes in a way that's more than just a head intellectual knowledge, but is a total buy-in of body, spirit, and soul to the reason that we exist and the only hope that we have for the future. And if that sounds a little dramatic, it is. Nobody loves you like God. And he proved it, as we read in John. The realization of that and, and every reminder of that, I think, should stir a sense of awe within us. And another word might be wonder toward God that drives us to gratefully say, Lord, if, if you love me that much, if you did that for me, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever it takes, whatever you want of me, I'm in because I want to know you and I want to know that kind of love. Amen? That takes, I think, even more meaning uh, on when we, when we reflect on uh, not only what we enter into, but what we are delivered from, what the Bible calls a conscious existence in a horrifying place called hell, where those who choose to ignore God will get to live out that choice forever. And that's not a pleasant thought. It's not one I like to think about. It's not one you like to think about. It's not one we're going to reflect on too much this morning. But it's only in recognizing the full extent of what God has done for us that we want to fully enter into all that God has for us and all that God wants to do in us and through us. Now, maybe that seems a little heavy for the Sunday after Christmas when we're just trying to recover. But I hope instead it will drive us to recommit ourselves to uh, knowing and to sharing Christ in the year to come. Now, as I talk about this awe of God, what, what am I talking about? What do I mean? Well, I'm not talking about, um, you know, a sense of humility like, oh, you know, when somebody gives you a compliment and you, you try to act like, it, you know, oh, it's nothing, you know. It's not that. And I'm not talking about a sense of pity, like, oh, that's too bad, you know. It's not that. I'm not talking about uh, a sense of letdown, like, oh, you know, when things don't develop like you want, or you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas. I, I hope that didn't happen, but, you know, oh. And that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is something like what happens when you 
are overwhelmed in the presence of someone that you may never normally have the chance to connect with, but when it happens, you're kind of dumbstruck. For example, have you ever met anybody famous? Maybe you've had that chance in your life. I've had a chance a few times, but it's, I remember my, my, um, my mom, as a boy, taking my two brothers and myself for a long weekend down to San Francisco. We were living in Oregon at the time. And she took us down to San Francisco for a couple of giant Dodger ball games. Now, that was pretty exciting for some young guys, young kids. And we went down there, and we went, we went to a couple of games. And then after the games, we'd be standing outside the gate where supposedly the players were going to come out. And we had our autograph books and our pens. And, you know, hey, there's so-and-so. And we'd run over and get their autograph. And I don't know who that is, but let's get their autograph, you know. And, and we got a bunch of autographs. And then I took them home, and I put them in a little album. And I couldn't even read what some, what some of them said, so I don't know who they were. But, I, you know, I'd look at that little album, and I'd say, oh, man, that was amazing. You know, it's kind of that idea that we're talking about this morning. But I'm, t- I'm talking about a deep sense of wonder that flows from the soul when you consider who God is and what God has done. And I'll make a confession to you this morning. I'll be transparent with you today. I, I lost that for, for several years. I lost a, a sense of, of that, and I, and I had a bad taste toward Christmas celebration. And I'm a pastor. I mean, that's pretty bad, but right? But, but I lost that because the, the commercialism and the consumerism and the materialism and the busyness and all the stuff that surrounded Christmas just got to me. And I just kind of lost my taste for celebrating Christmas for a while until I decided to refocus on the truths like we just read this morning. And I began to reflect on those, and I regained and recaptured that, that sense of awe about what it's really all about. And there, there are a lot of good things we do in Christmas. I'm not trashing those things. We, all, giving is good, so the celebrations are good, the connections are good, all of that's, that's good. But I do hope to give them a little more perspective. For instance, traditions are good. Some of you have traditions, like we do, that you've celebrated in the last few days. But traditions can also work against us if they cause us to settle comfortably into a routine that becomes something where we don't really think about or it doesn't allow us to reflect on what's behind it. And by the way, that's one of the reasons Jesus was so upset with the Pharisees, because they were so caught up in the rules and the regulations instead of what was behind it all. But many of you celebrated traditions, as we did this Christmas. And I, but I wonder, did they ultimately help you to refocus on what the season was about? Traditions can be good, but they fulfill their greatest purpose in rooting us in something bigger than the immediate holiday or occasion. If traditions just become an end in themselves, instead of a means of reminding us why we're doing what we're doing, then the end result might be a sense of personal enjoyment and, and satisfaction, and that's okay. But in the case of Christmas or communion or any other religious celebration, it won't result in an awe about God or a sense of wonder toward God that grows our experience of God. Music is a, an important part of our lives, isn't it? It's an important part of this church. Like this morning, we're singing songs, and we love to do that. It's an important part of our lives. It was an important part of Christmas. 
But music fulfills its greatest purpose if it moves us to connect with truth and with the God of truth. When we sing songs here on Sundays, or when we listen to the music of Christmas, do we think about those songs, what they're saying? Do we make them an extension of our worship toward God? We even sang about wonder here at Christmas Eve in the celebrations. There was a song we sang, um, He rules the earth with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. And wonders of His love. We sing about it. There's a chorus, we, it's getting a little old now, so we don't sing it much anymore, but I love the chorus because of what it says. It says, I stand, I stand in awe of you. But do we? I, I don't think wonder and awe are something that are taught in our society and I believe are, is an ignored spiritual practice in the church. Eugene Peterson wrote these words, and I like them a lot. He said, unfortunately, we don't live in a world that promotes or encourages wonder. Somehow, the wonder gets squeezed out of us as we move from being children to adults for many reasons, but mostly because we develop a sense of self-competence and mastery over our own selves and our environment. If we fail to cultivate wonder, we risk missing the very heart of what's going on. And I think he's right. His words, I think, ought to challenge us how we really view God and as people of the church, as people at CTK. Have, do we have a faith that's continually being flamed by a sense of awe and wonder toward God? Do we have a faith that's constantly humbled and driven by a deep understanding that there is someone who transcends our lives, our everyday lives, but who has entered our everyday lives and continues to work supernaturally in our lives in ways that cannot be explained in anything other than the power and the presence of God at work in us and through us. Amen? I, I, Diane and I were, have been reading a book. We've, we just finished it, but this book is called The Case for Miracles by Lee Strobel. It was a good book, but I want to just read to you just some very brief excerpts from a chapter called Embarrassed by the Supernatural. He said, he's interviewing another person, and by the way, the author used to be an atheist himself, now a, a born-again Christian. But he's interviewing another born-again Christian leader. He says, you, he says you, there's a certain unpredictability with the Holy Spirit. And we mainstream evangelicals have come to love predictability. We don't want any big surprises. We don't want to open the door to something that will really shock us because we can't control it. And we're a bit afraid of it, says the author. Yes, we absolutely are. Many evangelicals are not convinced in the depth of their soul that God is still supernaturally active. They don't make room for that kind of activity in their church or their life. He says, all we expect to happen these days when we proclaim Jesus and the resurrection is that people will nicely nod and say, oh, we, we agree with that. Then they go home and live as if it's not really true because they don't expect miracles to happen anymore. They don't expect God to do things that are inexplicable. It would make their life unpredictable. That's a sad perspective, I said. It should be, yes. I, but I think a lot of people are happier living with predictability than really expecting that God will do unusual things in their lives. They hear of supernatural activity and miracles happening in Africa, and they say, well, praise God. 
But the unsaid part is, I'm really glad it didn't happen here. That would be scary. That would be threatening. His point was clear. Whether they recognize it or not, many American evangelicals have relegated the supernatural and the miraculous to the past and to elsewhere, such as mission fields, rather than seeing them as an ever-present possibility in their own lives. And he goes on to say, I asked this other person, Olson, if there's one word that could summarize why a lot of evangelical Christians seem embarrassed by the supernatural. He gave it some thought and then said, respectability. Why that word, I asked. Evangelicals in general are trying to live down our past. We're very aware of Hollywood's version of us, the oddball preacher, the phony faith healer. We want to run from those depictions. We want our neighbors to see us as normal people who aren't very different from them. We're, we are desperate to fit in. So, I said, we divorce ourselves from the supernatural since it seems odd to the world. That's right, he said. We want to show that we're cultured and refined, that we're not gullible or superstitious, that we're not like the over-the-top fanatics that our neighbors see on television. In fact, he added, my experience is that the richer and more educated evangelicals become, the less likely they are to really expect miracles to happen. Many evangelicals don't really believe in the supernatural until the doctor says, you have a terminal illness. Before a moment like that occurs, many people don't make room in their life for God to do anything supernatural. Oh, sure, they believe in God, they love Jesus, but he's an image more than a living reality. And he concludes, the richer we get, the more education we attain, the less comfortable we are with the miraculous. We don't feel we need it, really. We're getting along just fine. After all, we're successful. Man, when I read those words, they just leapt off the page to me. I hope they do you too. That's us. That's us. Think about this. Think about this. God, Emmanuel, God with us, entered this world that he created. And he who created man and woman and the birth process entered into a woman's womb and came out the birth canal as a human baby who was hailed by angels by shepherds, by men who'd come from far away, feared by a king who was so fearful of this baby that he slaughtered all the baby boys under two. But this was God among us, Emmanuel, God in flesh, who entered the world to deal with sin, with our sin, and to express his love through his death and resurrection, and then through sending his spirit into our lives so that we can be transformed and live like children of the one who created all things. Think of it. John reminds us that the word became flesh and dwelled among us, that through him all things were made, and yet he came into this, this world in order to suffer and to die because he loves you so much. And then to rise from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all, so that you could have eternal life. Does that create any sense of wonder and awe in you, that God would do that for you? I, if, I think if wonder doesn't 
characterize our thoughts toward God and our relationship to Him. We'll go through emotions and we'll try hard to know God, but without a deep inner motivation that comes from being awestruck at what God did for me. Wonder toward God and what God has done will help us see our lives as part of something bigger and make us want to be a part of that. It'll give us hope and meaning and confidence to enter each day because Emmanuel has come and Emmanuel is with us now and he'll be with us tomorrow and throughout 2020 and in all the days ahead because he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he's not, this is really mind-blowing, he's not only with us, he is in us. God, Emmanuel, God in flesh is now God in us, the Holy Spirit. The promised one that Jesus said, I'll go away, but I'll send you another. No other religion could say that about their false gods. Because God is living, and He's living in us because of what Jesus did. Amen? John says that the world and the, the people that God had chosen did not recognize Jesus and rejected Him. Listen, rejection's an awful thing. Some of you have experienced it, and you're still maybe reeling from it a bit. You've experienced rejection that's deeply wounded you. Jesus knows what it's like, and He can heal your wounds. He came in love and he was rejected. And as you move from one year into a new year, he can help you with those wounds that you've suffered because of the rejection of others. Unforgiveness and bitterness of soul eats away at some of us. But he was able to forgive those who hurt him. Perhaps you've been deeply hurt by others who have abused you or, or rejected you or abandoned you. And he can help you in this coming year to forgive them. And listen, friend, you need to forgive them. Whether they deserve it or not, whether they ever ask for it or not, you need to forgive them if you're ever going to experience freedom. Some of you are moving into a new year surrounded by loving relationships. Praise God, that's wonderful. But others of you are carrying disappointment and struggles and hurts in relationships and wounds from relationships into the new year. And you think the future is just going to be like the past. Christ understands that. He was rejected by his own and he loves you. And he'll help you know what real love is. And his love for you is faithful. It's pure. It's, it's lasting. It's complete. It will never be taken away. And he'll help you by his Holy Spirit to have love toward those that you find it so hard to love or who don't show you love. So let me ask you this morning, how's your awe factor? How's your spiritual fuel gauge when it comes to wonder toward God and what God has done? Has your faith become dull and routine? Is your life just the same old, same old? Or are you anticipating great things as you follow Christ into the new year? As we come to communion this morning, we're standing this Sunday at the crossroads of an old year and a new year. And may our love for Christ propel us into these days ahead, fueled by and reignited by this sense of awe and wonder toward God. And may our faith to believe in a supernatural God who does supernatural things and works supernatural miracles be encouraged and enlarged and reinforced.
He knows the problems you're facing. He knows your challenges. He knows what your needs are. And he wants to bless you and help you. But above all, he wants to, you to experience his love and his kingdom in supernatural ways now and forever. In the conclusion of that book that I just read from a few moments ago, I was struck by the story of a young widow who had prayed for a miracle, but whose husband had died after a 12-day 12 12-day 12 illness, leaving her a widow with two young children. And I was struck by her words. She said, some claim that strong faith is defined by throwing our energies into begging God for a miracle that will take away our suffering and then believing without doubting that he'll do it. But faith isn't measured by our ability to manipulate God to get what we want. It's measured by our willingness to submit to what he wants. The truth is, she continued, there's no formula we can count on for when Jesus says yes and when he says no. And there's the catch with sovereignty. He gets to decide yes, no, if, when, and how. We can't figure out what he'll decide, and we can't base our own confidence on his favor or whether he gives us what we want. We, however, base our confidence on his faithfulness. Miracles are temporary, but the word of Jesus, his teachings, they bring life, real life. Your faith in him, your belief that he's real, even when the miracle isn't yours, even when he doesn't say yes to you, this is what brings eternal life. And may I add, this is what helps us really experience God. As we prepare for communion this morning, I'm going to ask the ushers to, to ready themselves. And if you're here this morning and you're a, you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to participate in this regardless of whether you're a regular part of this church. You're part of his. And you're welcome to participate in that. But I want to, I want to say this to you. This coming year, all of us need some miracles, don't we? Don't we? And our church needs some miracles, don't we? Then let's live awestruck at the amazing love and grace of the God of wonders. And let's be willing to ask him for miracles. And also willing to trust him to do more than just what we want, but to do what he knows is best for us and those around us. But I, I really do believe God wants to do some amazing things in my life and in yours in this year to come. I believe that. And not because we deserve it, not because we demand it, not because it's our right as children of God, but because he's such an amazing God. And he does amazing things. And he'll do amazing things in the future as he has in the past. Just like Christmas and just like John reminded us this morning. Because he loves you. He loves you and he loves me so, so much that he did what he did. And because he's a faithful God who is faithful to his covenants and to his word and his promises and to his own character, he will not fail you. Hold those elements until we partake together and we'll, we'll pray. Would you pray with me? And as we bow in these moments of prayer, I don't know what, what your frame of mind is this morning. I don't know what you're coming out of or what's going on in your life, but God does. 
And I want to say to you, especially if you're here this morning, having heard this, uh, if you're not sure that you have that relationship with God through Christ, if you're not sure about that, why not be sure? If God did that for you, and you've heard that this morning, if He loves you that much, why would you not want that? So would you just pray to Him this morning and something like, Lord, forgive me of my sins and, and, and come into my life. and You gave yourself for me and I give myself to you. And I want to live for you with the help of your Holy Spirit. And if you're here this morning and you've got a wound, you've got a, a relationship problem, you've got a, a need, you've got something that you really want or need to happen in the new year, would you give that to Him? Realizing that if God did this for you, if He did what He did for you, what won't He do for those who love Him? And may, may you just praise God for His love and be so captivated this coming year by that love and what He's done for you that you will experience Him more and more fully. Lord, we want that in our lives, each of us. So take our cares, take our concerns, take our lives. Thank you for what you've led us through in the past and regardless of what we face in the days to come, in the months to come, Lord, help us to walk it with you and to trust in you for your faithfulness and your goodness. You love us and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And so we have the elements this morning, the bread which represents the bread of life, the body of Jesus, which was given for you because God loves you. Would you take that this morning with gratitude? And the cup that you have represents His blood spilled for you. Think of it. The blood of Jesus Himself spilled for you because He loves you. Take that this morning recommitting yourself to Him and the days ahead to Him and be thankful. Thank you, Jesus. And as you go out into this new week and as you go out into a new year, whatever the circumstances are, may God go with you. And He will. He's promised that. But may He go with you. May He go before you to show you the way. May He go behind you to encourage you and beside you to befriend you. May He go above you to watch over you, and may He go within you to keep you in peace and to transform you and to accomplish His perfect will. Amen.